It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome to the Monday edition of the Orange or Brown Talk podcast. Today, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, and I are going to look back at quarterbacks taken in the top five of the NFL draft. Mary Kay wrote a story about quarterbacks taken in the top five, how Baker Mayfield is the only one between 2009 and 2018 currently with his team. We're going to look at every single quarterback who fits that description and figure out, is there a lesson for the Browns to learn? Is there a lesson the Browns have learned? Or... Do those teams just take the wrong guy? We're going to go through the whole list. That's coming up here on the Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk Podcast. Here we go on our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk Podcast. Dan Lobby, Mary Kevin Scott Pasco, and we are looking back at top five quarterbacks going back to 2009. Uh, Mary Kay put up a story cleveland.com you can go find it i'll link it to in our uh, podcast description if you want to check it out through that not a lot of quarterbacks mary Kay, are still with their teams that were taken in the top five and so we're going to go all the way back to 2009 and we're going to look at these quarterbacks and right baker mayfield is the only one right yeah out of 14 Up until, out of 14 yeah. Quarterbacks drafted in the top five from 2009 to 2018, that 10-year span of those 14 quarterbacks, he is the only one that is still left with his original team. And I just find that to be really a mind-blowing stat, especially as we are heading towards a draft in Cleveland in a couple of weeks where as many as five quarterbacks could go in the top five, right? So it's, it's just kind of uh, amazing to think that, uh, that it worked out this way for, for guys that, of course, when their teams drafted them, they all thought that uh, that, that guy was going to be the one to take them to the promised land. And it's just a very interesting uh, statistic, I think. Okay, so we're going to take a look at these guys. We're going to go all the way back to 2009. Take a look, kind of throw out maybe why it didn't work. And how that pertains to Baker Mayfield, why the Browns have avoided that so far. And obviously, look, 2009, 2018, different sample sizes. But why the Browns might be built to avoid that or maybe why it might be something to keep an eye on as they move forward. And we start with Matthew Stafford, went number one in 2009. He was the Lions' reward for going 0-16. I, when you guys look at Matthew Stafford, there, there were two quarterbacks taken in the top five in this draft. So we'll start with Stafford. Like, why didn't work out? I just have bad organization written down. That's what I wrote down. Yeah, and you know what? When, when you look at these 14 quarterbacks, five of them have moved on from their team just this offseason. 
five of them. And Matthew Stafford is one of them, but not because he's not good. He's the one guy that moved on from his drafting team this offseason because a team wanted to upgrade their quarterback position. And obviously they traded uh, Matthew Stafford. They traded for him. The Rams did and sent Jared Goff, uh, who's also on this list, to the Detroit Lions. So Matthew Stafford is one of the guys on this list, and there are not many. He's one of the guys on this list that is a really, really darn good quarterback, a starting caliber quarterback that, like you said, Dan, just landed with a bad organization. I mean, he, he has got, you know, when you, you don't even realize all the accolades uh, for Matthew Stafford, but, you know, fourth quarterback in NFL history uh, to throw for more than 5,000 yards in a single season, you know, fastest player in the NFL to reach 40,000 yards. I mean, he, he did a lot of amazing things and he just got stuck on a team that didn't support him, didn't surround him with every single thing that he needed to be successful. And I'm very anxious to see how this works out for him with the Rams. Yeah. When people talk about all the quarterback movement this off season, you know, it, it, they're usually talking about quarterbacks who didn't work out, but Stafford's always kind of lumped into this group and he really shouldn't be because he was there for a decade and nobody's looked at Matthew Stafford and said, well, that's a quarterback who just didn't work out. Or he's, you know, he's the problem there. Nobody, I, nobody thought that. It's always been what's around him, what the Lions did or didn't do, you know, to, to, to make a, the team better around him. And I'm, I'm looking at it since he's been there at three, he had three playoff appearances, all wild card games, all losses. And, you know, they never built off that. And that's not his fault. So there's, there's two kind of veins on this then with Baker Mayfield. The first is he was certainly heading down this path early in his career where it was just chaos around him, uh, different coaches, different coordinators, but the Browns seem to have stabilized that. Uh, so that's good. But then there's the other part that you just mentioned, Scott, it's that continuing, you know, whenever this kind of stretch ends where they just have all this talent around him, right. And Odell and you know, they've got to find ways to continue to build this and continue to make this successful around him. Absolutely. And you know what, this off season, this past off season, I think was the year that the Browns really made that major, major commitment to Baker Mayfield in every single way. And I remember when I interviewed Drew Stanton, not that they did it because of Drew Stanton, but he sort of captured the essence of what needed to happen. He sat in front of Jimmy Haslam and he said, here's what you guys need to do. I mean, you guys need to put all your eggs in Baker Mayfield's basket and do every single thing that you can to help this young man be successful because he has what it takes and you've got to give him this opportunity. And when you look at the offseason, it's basically what they did. Uh, you know, they got Alex Van Pelt, Kevin Stefanski. They built the offensive line. They committed to the running game. They upgraded the defense. This is all designed to help Baker Mayfield get this team to the next level, which of course uh, they're hoping is the Super Bowl. Head coaches uh, that Matthew Stafford had, Jim Schwartz, Jim Caldwell, and Matt Patricia. Jim Caldwell, the best of that bunch. Offensive coordinator, Scott Linehan for, uh, during the Jim Schwartz years, Joe Lombardi, and then Jim Bob Cooter and Daryl Bevel, which sounds like a country duo or something. Nashville. <laughs> uh, my other... favorite names of all time in the NFL, <laughs> Jim Bob Cooter. Uh, Mark Sanchez was the other guy, went number five to the Jets. Of course, Browns fans know this very well. They traded with the Browns to move up. Uh, the Browns got a first round pick, a second round pick, and three players 
to move up in that trade. I don't know that there's necessarily a lesson here to learn from Mark Sanchez, but it just seems to me like if we're going to pass a verdict on that, it's that the Jets just kind of traded up to stake the wrong guy there. I don't know that there was a right guy, but the Jets kind of misjudged that and decided that Sanchez was the guy you want to trade up for. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember when he was coming out, he had very, very little experience. He, you know, he had only started a handful of games, maybe a dozen at the most or something like that. He just didn't have a body of work. And once again, there just are not a, a ton of USC quarterbacks that come into the league and are wildly successful anyways. Yeah, so this was just a situation of a marginal quarterback on a on not a very good team, although he actually did go to the AFC championship game in each of his first two seasons. He, uh, he and Ben Roethlisberger are the only two quarterbacks uh, to have done that in their first two seasons. So uh, that's the notable thing about him. But as you mentioned, it's just, you know, a average quarterback on not a great football team. And it just didn't work out. Yeah, it just seemed like he was like, there was this USC aura or something where you needed to take a USC quarterback at that point. You know, it was a Matt Leinart, uh, a top pick a couple years before that. And of course, Carson Palmer. And yeah, it was weird that he went so high. That was like the, he was kind of like the Mitch Trubisky of that year in a way. And that is a guy who just didn't have a lot of experience, but for whatever reason he rose and, Boom, next thing you know, he's playing in AFC championship games. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, 2010. Uh, well, the another quarterback of note taken, and actually it's the guy that Tampa Bay took at number 17 when they traded with the Browns. Again, when the Browns traded down and ended up with Alex Mack, they took Josh Freeman. So I think we can all agree Matthew Stafford, the best of, of that group. Okay, 2010. Let's go on a journey here with Sam Bradford. <laughs> Went number one to the Rams out of Oklahoma. Six players taken after Bradford. All six of those players made Pro Bowls. That includes Joe Hayden. To me, his real problem was health. So here's the list. 2011, a high ankle sprain. He only played in 10 games. 2013, torn ACL in week seven. 2014, torn ACL in the preseason. Of course, Browns fans remember that because it happened against the Browns. In 2015 and 2016, he combined to play 29 games, but he missed two with a concussion and a shoulder in 2015. And then in 2017, he missed his entire season due to knee issues related to those ACL tears. This is a guy that won rookie of the year in 2010, actually had a pretty good year in Minnesota in 2016, 20 touchdowns, five interceptions, 71%. There's a world where maybe Sam Bradford, if he ends up in the right system has a career. And I'm not just saying this because he came from Oklahoma where maybe he puts up, I don't think he's got the arm and, you know, he's not Baker Mayfield, but I could see him putting up Baker Mayfield like statistics, what we've seen sort of early in Baker's career. It just didn't happen for him, though. He just kept getting hurt. Is there a lesson here from Sam from Sam Bradford? I think there's an injury lesson, but I think it's a later quarterback that we can kind of learn about with that. But is there a lesson from Sam Bradford and, and you know why what? Baker Mayfield's not going to turn into him? I'll tell you what. I mean, you nailed it, Dan. His whole thing, I think, Uh, was the injury profile. You can't be tearing ACLs in back-to-back years, especially back then. I mean, ACLs have come a long way even since then. Just in the last three or four years, they've gotten much better at repairing ACLs. Back then, it was still uh, the way that the operations were being done. It was a little bit more catastrophic. It was a more serious injury back then than it is now. 
so that that is a very, very key issue. You're going to have residual injuries based on, uh, you know, just how serious those injuries were back then. So he just got, it, he was just derailed by injuries more than anything. I think he's one of those guys that if he had been able to stay healthy, I think he had what it took. I think if he, he was in the right situation with the right people, I think he was talented enough. So I don't think they made a bad pick. I think the pick just went bad. Yeah, when I think of Bradford, I do think of the injuries first. And I think of how after he was, after he missed all those games kind of in the middle of his career, he went from being, you know, the, the young guy with all his promise and like in, in a snap, he became an old guy. You know, he's like just the, the old veteran who was trying to find a team. And like you said, he did have, he did have a good year with, with the Vikings. But it just seemed there was never any middle ground there. He was, he was young and promising. Then he was hurt. And then he's a, like an old journeyman. So just that's Sam Bradford's career. And Dan, I was going to say the thing about it too, is that, I mean, aren't you guys amazed at how durable Baker Mayfield is? I mean, Baker is incredibly durable. It's like, he's a little dynamo, you know, he just pops up, you know, he can get drilled. And I, I wondered about that when he was coming into the NFL. I watched a lot of his games at Oklahoma and he was always kept clean. He was always kept clean. And I wondered how even at his size, he was going to handle just getting crushed and he pops up and, you know, he's got that, you know, swagger about him where he doesn't, he will never want anybody to see that maybe he just, you know, fell a little something here or there for the most part, he pops up and he, uh, you know, he just keeps going. And I think that's been one of the uh, best attributes of his in his first few years. Yeah, and the first two, it was definitely ripe for injury with what uh, he had on that offensive line, and especially at tackle. It's it's kind of amazing that that he had that he did make it through that. Yeah, look, some of it is luck, right? The, the torn ACLs and stuff. A guy lands on your leg wrong, you can be done. But I agree. I was going to say that same thing. We've seen a, a real level of toughness from Baker Mayfield, and it was really on display this year, right? He had the rib injury, and he played through it. And the guy doesn't, the guy doesn't miss games. And that's really important. Uh, other quarterbacks taken in this draft of note, Tim Tebow went 25th overall Colt McCoy third round number 85 is Colt the best quarterback in this draft. Still plugging along. <laughs> yep. I think you'd have to say so. <laughs> All right. 2011 brings us a, a strange one because this guy is no longer with his team, but I don't think there's any regrets uh, with what happened in his career for this team. Cam Newton goes number one overall played nine years in Carolina, took him to the super bowl. I think with the way cam plays, there was always going to be a shelf life a little bit because he's, he plays like a linebacker. He's a linebacker playing quarterback and he's not afraid of contact. You can go, go on YouTube and you'll see some of the hits he's put on people even going back to college. I, I don't know. To, to me, I don't think there's any way we can say that this one didn't work. It's just, it just had sort of a shorter shelf life than maybe, you know, when you draft a quarterback, number one, you might want him to be your guy for 15 years, but that's not always going to be a reality. Yeah. I had higher hopes for him, especially, uh, you know, after taking going 15 and one in 2015, taking the team to the Super Bowl, it really just seemed that, uh, you know, that he was going to have sustained success and win multiple Super Bowls and, uh, you know, just be really one of the, the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. I thought it was probably going to shape up like that. So I'd have to say, I feel like a little bit disappointed that it, it didn't continue on 
uh, in that vein. But I mean, he's got a Super Bowl to his credit, NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, NFL MVP in, in that year, 2015. Uh, so this was a successful pick. This was definitely a successful pick. And I would still like to see him have success. And I think he, he got hit with the injury bug later on and has struggled to kind of come back from that. But, you know, three-time Pro Bowler, you know, he did exactly what you wanted a number one overall pick to do, and that is get you to a Super Bowl. If you look at the Panthers' records during his career, it's clear that the organization deserves some of the blame for it not working out better because, I mean, they had, they're 6-10 and 10 and 7-9, and nine, but then, you know, you got the 12-4 and, and four year in 2013, then it's 5-8, and eight, then it's 15-1. and one. And then it's six and eight, then it's 11 and five, and then it's six and eight. And he started at least 14 games every season during that stretch. So it was just kind of just a roller coaster there back and forth. And they just could not get anything sustained for multiple years with him. And and I heard an, uh, an interview about him recently where it was kind of pointed out he didn't always have great weapons around him. And maybe sometimes Carolina sort of relied on him being Superman a little bit too much. And maybe that, that shortened his time there a little bit. All right, 2012 is where oh, we hold, get... hold on, hold on. Wait, before we get to 2012, there was another first-round pick and oh, a quarterback right. in 2011. You're right. That, I didn't uh, the list. Go ahead. This is in the supplemental draft, actually, and they used a third-round pick to get him, but it's Terrell Pryor with the Raiders. <laughs> there we who go. I don't believe became the starter then. I can't not remember the first couple years of his career, but... Um, but yeah, that same year that they took Terrell Pryor in the supplemental draft. The other quarterbacks, too, on the list, I forgot to read the list. Jake Locker went eighth. Andy Dalton went 35th. Colin Kaepernick, 36th. And our old buddy Terod Taylor went 180th in the sixth round. Poor Terod, not even the best quarterback ever taken in the sixth round. He just can't ever win. All right, 2012. This is where it gets interesting, and here's kind of your, your I don't want to say cautionary tale because I think the Browns learned this lesson. Andrew Luck, number one overall, uh, retired just before the 2019 season. He missed the first two games of his career in 2015 with a shoulder injury, and that sort of lingered for a little while, and also had a lacerated kidney and a partially torn abdominal muscle in that season. Uh, He missed all of 2017 lingering effects of that shoulder injury. The other guy, Robert Griffin III, went number two, set records as a rookie, uh, for a quarterback rating and highest touchdown interception ratio. Those have since been broken, but in the playoff game that year tore his ACL, LCL and meniscus and just has never been the same quarterback. A dislocated ankle in 2014 in week two uh, did come back in week nine, but got benched that season. Then Mike Shanahan gets fired and things just go sideways for RG three's career. The real guy here to talk about though is Andrew Luck and Mary Kay. You talked to Ryan Gregson this season specifically about this. Yes, I think that what happened with Andrew Luck in in, in Indianapolis was a cautionary tale, our favorite buzz phrase for this season, uh, for what is now happening with Baker Mayfield. When Ryan Grigson, then GM of the Colts, was there, uh, he took a ton of heat because they did not protect early on. They did not protect Andrew Luck, and he was just hit and hit and injured. And that is his one huge regret from when he was in Indy. Now, Andrew Berry was with him there in Indy throughout all this. So they watched this happen together and they vowed uh, that they were not going to let that happen here with Baker Mayfield. 
It was the one thing that Ryan Grigson did was jump on the table to make sure that the Cleveland Browns protected Baker Mayfield at all costs. So that is why a major reason why they went out and they signed Jack Conklin last year. It's why they drafted Jedrick Wills. It's why they just really invested a whole lot in this offensive line and did whatever they could to surround Baker Mayfield. And it's really unfortunate when you look at what happened with Andrew Luck, because he was worth that pick. He's a hell of a quarterback. I mean, he made four pro bowls. He, you know, he took the team to the playoffs in four seasons. You know, I mean, he just, he was what we all expected him to be. He passed the eyeball test out there and it just injuries derailed his career and it's sad. And again, the Browns learned the lesson and they are not letting that happen here. And the other thing about Andrew Luck that, you know, just of note is they approached the, the contract in a way that maybe these guys might follow that same pattern with Baker. He was sacked 73 times over his first two seasons. I played, he didn't miss a game until his fourth year, but 41 times as a rookie. And then again, in 2016, he was sacked 41 times. Then he missed the next year. So yeah, rough go. I mean, but still, I mean, despite that, we got, I mean, he lived up to the hype, right? Andrew Mm -hmm. kind of lived up to the hype. I mean, it's not like this is a, a guy who didn't didn't deliver on being the number one overall pick. So, right. Well, you know, Mary Kay, you and I were in Indianapolis. Well, I don't know wherever we were in Indiana for that joint those joint practices. And Andrew Luck was kind of walking around at the time. This was that was the year he retired, but he was still he hadn't retired yet when we were there. Um, and Jacoby Brissett was doing most of the work, but Andrew Luck was spotted a couple times hanging around, and I think there was some optimism around that team. And, and getting him back on the field and how good they could be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's unfortunate to see how his career ended prematurely. Uh, he did had, you know, he had just signed a big, huge contract extension a couple of years before he retired. Uh, and, and I think that, I mean, he had a lot of good years left in him. Look at, I mean, these quarterbacks are playing obviously into their late thirties now. And in some cases, early forties. So he had a lot of time left and there's part of me that was thinking, is he going to come back this year or ever? I mean, will he, that, you know, you know, the sand is going down through the hourglass, but I want, you know, you just have to wonder, would he ever try to make a comeback? What do you guys think? He's 31. He just seems like a guy who like when he's going to walk away, he was going to walk away. He, he seemed pretty confident in that decision. Right. It it seems like he's comfortable being out of the limelight. Mm Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't need it necessarily. Uh, Baker Mayfield sacked 40 times in 2019. And if that didn't send a message that, uh, you, you know, you don't want him to face that same fate as Andrew Luck or when go all the way back to a, another number one pick, Tim Couch, whoever you want to mention. Uh, certainly, I think Andrew Luck is one of those guys you circle and say, the Browns kind of can breathe a sigh of relief now because they went out and they protected their quarterback, something Indianapolis was unable to do. Other quarterbacks in this draft, this is an interesting one. Ryan Tannehill went eighth. Brandon Whedon went 22nd. (laughs) Brock Osweiler, 57th. So a couple of uh, Browns connections there. Russell Wilson, 75th. Nick Foles, 88th. And Kirk Cousins in the fourth round, 102nd. 
That was the year that the uh, now Washington football team took Robert Griffin III and Kirk Cousins in the exact same draft. It's probably never a good sign when you're taking two quarterbacks. In the <laughs> Do you know who went in the sixth round that year? I s- probably saw another them, Browns I- connection. They, they had three of the three of the guys you mentioned. Obviously, were on the roster at one point. Sixth round was Ryan Lindley. Okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Lindley. Okay. All right, 2013, I've got nothing of note. That was a bad draft, and we'll all just forget about it. Yep. Uh, 2014, not really a lesson here. Blake Bortles goes number one. I'm not number one, but he's the the first quarterback taken. He goes to the Jaguars. They just took the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. You look at the list of quarterbacks taken, they just took the wrong guy. So I guess the, the sigh of relief here for the Browns is it doesn't look like they took the wrong guy. It looks like they took a good player. Of course, you know, we, we can talk about Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and all that, but at least they took a guy that they can play and win with. And the, the Jaguars did not. Uh, they took Blake Bortles in that draft. Other guys taken, we all know Johnny Manziel, Teddy Bridgewater, 32nd, Derek Carr, 36th, Jimmy Garoppolo, 62nd. Any of those guys would have been an upgrade over Blake Bortles. Well, not Johnny Manziel. Uh, maybe <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's true. (laughs) All right. 2015. Again, another interesting one. And I think there's two, two points I would make here, but uh, Jameis Winston goes one and Marcus Mariota goes second. But I'm curious when you guys looked at those two, is there anything that kind of stood out to you and said, is is there a lesson that the Browns can learn or maybe have learned from either of these guys? Well, I would say with, with Jameis Winston, the thing that stands out to me is that he's a gunslinger, okay? And Baker Mayfield has the gunslinger mentality. Now, we talked about uh, the year that in 2019 when Baker Mayfield uh, had 21 interceptions. I think Jameis Winston had 22 or more than that even. I can't even remember how many he had, but he topped Baker Mayfield. But he also had a ton of touchdown passes. So he just throws it around the yard. Well, Baker Mayfield could have gone down that road, but they reined him in. I mean, they really really, they really made an effort, a concerted effort to get him to stop throwing interceptions. Okay. They gave him checkdowns. They gave him a lot of things to do. They gave him outlets. They did everything they could to get that number to come down. And it came down drastically from 21 and 2019 to what did he have eight last year? I can't remember. The yeah, I believe number. it was eight. I mean, that, that is a, a drastic reduction in interception. So I think that's one thing that they never really were able to do with Jameis Winston is get him to the point where he wasn't recklessly throwing the football. And I remember the Browns heading into this year. I mean, there, there really was the vibe and the thought was he's not going to be doing that. If he does that, he's not going to be starting football games. There's no way we, we are letting him do that. So I think that's the number one lesson to be learned from Jameis Winston is that, that kind of helped derail his career a little bit. I was going to say, and I think with Mariota, getting the quarterback that works well in your system, you know, they had Arthur Smith takes over the offense in 2019 and Mariota, I think they started out like two wins. I think I just had that in front of me. Yeah. They were like, he started six games. They were two and four and that's when they made the switch and, uh, and, and had Tannehill take over and, you know, have had success in that offense with him ever since. So it's, you know, Baker Mayfield is the right fit for Kevin Stefanski's offense. And 
not saying that's the reason Kevin Stefanski's here, but obviously there you, you can't just plug. It's you know the round peg in the square hole kind of thing. It's it's got to work, and for the for the Titans, uh, it just didn't. Yeah, so you guys kind of hit on both the points that I, I was thinking uh, with with Jameis Winston. You know, kind of to build off your point, Mary Kay, Jameis Winston, I have written down here through 28 interceptions in two years in college, 28, 18 is last year at Florida state. And I feel like, you know, when we talked about Sam Darnold coming out that year, and I certainly kind of ignored this, Sam Darnold had a bunch of turnover issues in college and we all kind of chose to ignore that, or at least I did. And, and a lot of other people did. And then to kind of build on what you said is, you know, Baker Mayfield in college threw 30 interceptions in four years. He's not a high interception guy. So it was kind of the Browns looking at him and saying, that's not who you are. This is who you are. And this is what we're going to, we're going to make you stop throwing these interceptions. And it worked. And then Scott, the point you made about Mariota was what I had written down. I feel like this is a guy who could thrive in a consistent, appropriate system. You know, Matt LaFleur in 2018 was the OC there and Mariota had one of his best years. If you put him in the right system, he could be a good quarterback. I don't know what his ceiling is, but I think he could be a good quarterback. And then you mentioned the Tannehill element where they find the right quarterback for what they wanted to do uh, under Arthur Smith. Mm -hmm. Nobody else worth mentioning really in this draft. I don't have any other names written down. All right, 2016. We all know this draft very, very well. Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. So Jared Goff obviously is the Detroit Lion right now. Carson Wentz. Uh, his injury history, torn ACL in week 14 in 2017, uh, shut down with a back injury in 2018, and he left the playoff game with a concussion in 2019. Actually had a really nice year in 2019. I'd kind of forgotten about that, especially over that, that winning streak that got the Eagles into the playoffs. Let's start with golf. I guess if you're going to point to a true, like, I, I don't know if parallel is the right word, but young quarterback, young coach, system, that, you know, they work well together, at least initially system seems to work. And then all of a sudden it falls apart. So I guess the question here is how do the Browns avoid that happening with Baker Mayfield or is Baker Mayfield just a better quarterback than Goff? Well, I, I think he's a better quarterback than, than Jared Goff. I think he's uh, got a stronger arm. I think he's more accurate. I think he's, I think, think he throws well on the run. He, I think he does things better than Jared Goff does, but I also think that this is something to learn from. You have to continuously evolve and you cannot just come back and try to do what you did. Teams are going to catch up to you. They're going to catch up to the scheme. They're going to catch up to the player. And I think that's why Kevin Stefanski has set forth his staff and his players to come back, to get better, to learn, to change, to grow. That's what they're going to have to do because this next year uh, teams will have had time to really dig into that film and, and, find some weaknesses or find some things in the scheme uh, that, that he doesn't do well. And they'll try to, to pick on those things. I think that's the takeaway there. Yeah. I, when I think of Jared golf, I mean, you just think of Sean McVay and you don't, you don't think of golf as being like the engine of what happened there when they had success early in his career. And, and we were going to find out what Jared golf really is, I guess uh, with the lions, but yeah, I think it was just, putting him in the right position and getting the absolute most you could get out of him for a couple of years. And I mean, he, I was looking at his completion percentage. I mean, he was under 60% as a rookie, but I mean, 62, 64, he was at 67% last season. He has thrown over 20 touchdowns every year, except his rookie year. I just don't think of him. I've never thought of him as like a top tier quarterback. He was just some guy that 
that worked in that offense and they made it work. And I think evolving is definitely part of this in that you need a quarterback who can evolve as well. So, you know, when we think about the Browns in those kind of terms, it's we're expecting more out of this offense. What more can you get out of Baker Mayfield that you didn't get last year? We're going to, we're going to find out. And, and it's interesting because I think the golf Mayfield comparison was accurate in some ways, really going back to last year and early in this year, when you sort, sort of parsed out some of the numbers about how, how Baker played under pressure and then you compare him with how golf played under pressure versus when he was kept clean, not kept clean. A lot of those numbers were similar, but then I think in the second half of this season, when Baker really kind of flipped that switch, it got better. And he, like his numbers, he started to separate himself from golf in those categories. And I saw a guy that was at least middle of the road, right. When he was dealing with pressure and, and dealing with things like that. And it showed that he can get better within the system. He can continue to get better. Once, I, I don't know, Mary Kay, is this just the contract cautionary tale here? No, I think it's something else. I think the contrast between Carson Wentz and Baker Mayfield is that leadership piece. The thing that we've heard so far about Carson Wentz in Philadelphia, and maybe it will be different when he's with Frank Reich again, and he is in Indianapolis, and maybe he's learned some things and changed. But we do hear weird things about how he relates to other players and his leadership skills and those kinds of things. One of the reasons I was told the Browns went with Baker Mayfield over a nicer guy, like uh, you know, maybe not, not as cocky of a guy or whatever, like a Sam Darnold or maybe even a Josh Allen or whatever. They knew that they needed somebody who had that edge to him to be able to pull the Cleveland Browns up out of their doldrums and out of all these years of losing. So when we heard Baker Mayfield stand up there at the scene, at the combine and say, if anybody can turn this team around, it's me. I mean, that's, that's the truth. That's what they believed about him, uh, that he could, whether or not, uh, you like the some of the abrasiveness or not. That's what they felt they needed. And so I think that is sort of the difference there between Carson and Baker. Yeah, Carson Wentz is just a weird one for me because, <laughs> I mean, he, the injuries, you can't downplay that. I think, you know, he, he had to deal with that. He, I mean, 30, this is the second year. Obviously, it was a really good year for him. 33 touchdowns, seven picks. He, he threw seven picks in each of the next three years and more than 20 touchdowns. So – Last season, we saw that offensive line was just they had major issues, and I know our colleague Doug Lay Maurice <laughs> will put the weight all on Carson Wentz's shoulders for what happened mm-hmm. last season with the Eagles. I don't know if that's fair. Um, I'm really eager to see what he can do with the Colts and what Frank Reich can do with him because we're finally going to find out how much of this last season was his fault, how much of it was the people around him. He just, I mean, he didn't have much of a chance to do. A lot and not that he played well when he did he completed only 57 percent of his passes but I think total judgment on what Carson Wentz is or isn't has to wait until we see what he does with the Colts mm-hmm. you know I mentioned those last four games in 2019 you're looking at a guy that threw seven touchdowns no picks almost 1200 yards 67 percent completion and they were you know fighting to to get into the playoffs and they got into the playoffs and then he gets the concussion and he's got to leave. He's got to leave that game. Okay. Uh, 20. Oh, other quarterbacks taken here. Jacoby Brissett, 91st. Our buddy Cody Kessler, 93rd. And Dak Prescott, 135th. Definitely the best quarterback taken in this draft. 
2017, Mitchell Trubisky to the Chicago Bears. I don't know. This just feels like a just took the wrong guy situation. I'll give Matt Nagy credit. He did get something out of Mitch, you know, the year they went to the playoffs and lost on the double doink. But yeah, I mean, this is just, just took the wrong guy. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing when you look at the quarterbacks in this 2017 draft and realize how many teams had Mitch Trubisky as the best quarterback in this draft ahead of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. And I think it was just the, the notion that people just weren't sure about those air raid quarterbacks and how they were going to do. And it really skewed how they looked at a guy like Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it, it was, it's, it's really shocking to, to realize how off people were on those quarterback evaluations that year. It really is because I mean, Patrick could end up being one of the greatest of all time, right? I mean, he's not going to beat Tom Brady, but he could end up becoming like right up there in the top five of all time quarterbacks. And I think that goes to show you just how incredibly difficult it is to get these quarterback evaluations right. And if I were one of the teams picking these top five quarterbacks in this 2021 draft coming up, I mean, you could look at 2017 and really study what happened that year and make sure that you don't screw up like that here in 2021. Yeah, I think the, the lesson here is if you're going to, if you're going to make a pick in the first, you know, number two overall or top five or something, it cannot be a risk pick. You can't, I mean, because there was tons of risk with Trubisky based on the fact that he did not have all the experience that a lot of other quarterbacks had. So you can't make, you can't make that kind of pick there. Now the Chiefs kind of did that with Mahomes moving up and grabbing him, but they, they had a quarterback already. They had Alex Smith on the roster. Trubisky goes to Chicago and he starts. So you're, you're asking a guy who's already a risky pick to come in and kind of lead your team. And it's just, it's a recipe for disaster. You have to, it's all right to take risks on, on players, but not at that point, not with quarterback, not that high. I think it just, I, I was always surprised that Trubisky was talked about as, as possibly the number one pick, mm-hmm. you know, but that high was just, it was a surprise. I, I do think in the case of the chiefs and Admittedly, all these stories are told in hindsight. If Patrick Mahomes had come up and thrown 25 interceptions a year, then we wouldn't be hearing these stories. But the Chiefs had conviction in that this is the guy they wanted at number 10. And Brett Veach absolutely fell in love with him, showed tape to Andy Reid. Andy Reid fell in love with him. They told John Dorsey, go figure out how to get him. Dorsey found the spot to go get him, and they did. Uh, and, And so even though he's not one of the top five guys, that we're talking about specifically. I think that's a lesson that, you know, again, John Dorsey involved. He had conviction. He's, he's admitted that he wanted Baker Mayfield in the fall. It wasn't like a decision he made in April. So to me, he had conviction that this is the guy he wanted and he went and got him. And, and you know, he, he could have taken Sam Darnold. That was the consensus guy. Josh Allen had all the hype kind of building. Uh, but but he wanted Baker Mayfield, and he went and got him. Other quarterbacks in this draft, we've mentioned uh, Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. Of course, that decision, that situation has changed dramatically in the last few months. And Deshaun Kaiser at number 52 overall. But nobody else really worth noting 
in, in this specific draft. And then, of course, we've got Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. So I'm going to throw out a couple other names here just for fun. 2019 was Kyler Murray. 2020 was Joe Burrow and Tua. And then I'm going to throw in the number six pick, Justin Herbert, just for the sake of this discussion. Of those guys, who, who do you like best? So Murray, Burrow, Tua, and Justin Herbert. It's a good group. It's a really, really good and in, intriguing group. It's a tough call. It's a tough call because we haven't seen enough of Joe Burrow in the NFL yet because of the right. torn ACL. But boy, what I have seen of him, I really like him a lot. We all liked what we saw of Justin Herbert. I mean, Ky- Kyler Murray, if they do the right things with him and surround him with the right talent and the right schemes and all those kinds of things, I, I think he can be absolutely dynamite. And I think it, the sky's unlimited. As for Tua, you know, he needs to step it up, but you know, I think that the effort is there to, to bring him along. Well, I'd ha- if I had to rank them right now, wow. I, I still think that's tough. I'd, I think I'd go Burrow and Herbert, but that, I don't know about those two. I could flip flop those two and then Kyler and then Tua. Yeah. I'm pretty confident saying Burrow and Herbert are going to be the two best quarterbacks of the last two years, looking at the list here in front of me. Um, but who, who ends up being the best is going to be what their teams do around them, right? It's going to be who puts them in the best position to win. And like we've talked to a lot of these other quarterbacks, uh, you know, if there's a lot of, if, if, you know, Burrow's going on a new coach a year from now, you know, that, that could stall, that could stall things with him. If, you know, same thing with Herbert, if, if there's change like that, if, if an offensive coordinator leaves and a new guy comes in and an offense changes and um, those are kind of things that can, kind of derail a quarterback a little bit. So, but they're clearly at the top two. And I, I mean, I liked what I saw from Burrow over the first half of the season. I thought he was great, but I mean, Herbert, if he's going to get hurt, you know, maybe he's the rookie of the year and not Herbert. I, I like both those guys. I, I can't argue with either of those guys. I, I think Herbert, if I had to pick one of those two guys to be like special, I think I'd pick Herbert. And I think Burrow might just be a guy who just has all these great, like, He's athletic. He's got a great arm. He's tough, all this stuff. And you can win with Joe Burrow. And he's just that, that grinder tough, like kind of almost, I don't want to say Brett Favre. He doesn't play like Brett Favre, but you know what I mean? Kind of that personality, that approach. I I do think Justin Herbert might have a chance to be like a a really special quarterback, but what a class. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And there's one, you can see that there is a trend going on, right? I mean, when, when I remember back when, Mariota, when Mariota was coming out, people were a little unsure about the dual threat and the running quarterback. And were they going to tear their ACLs and were they going to be, you know, okay. And all that kind of stuff. That is all out the window now. I mean, that is what everybody's looking for right now. People want teams want dual threat running quarterbacks that can do it all. The athletic guy that can do everything. Uh, And there are a lot of them. And I think it's opened up all the possibilities. I think those years, I think that if you went back to some of those years where there were, you know, not, not very good quarterbacks, I think if the mindset had been different in some of those years, some different guys would have shown up in the NFL and had done a better job in those years. Uh, So I think it's exciting. I think it's an exciting quarterback era in NFL football. 
And it just makes for, I mean, the games are so fun to watch. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. And I think the, um, I mean, there's, they still get injured. I mean, you know, running quarterbacks are going to get injured and that's unfortunate, but I don't, you guys think that there's just sort of a, a renaissance in, in quarterback play right now. And yet Mac Jones is flying up draft boards and Justin (laughs) Fields for whatever reason is not, it's just, that boggles my mind. I think you're totally right. Mary Kat. It seems like people want the big, fast, athletic, tough quarterback. Yeah, for whatever reason, Mac Jones, who is not known for his mobility, is uh, and certainly wasn't, you know, the the best quarterback in college football last season. For whatever reason, is is climbing the the draft board. It's just I don't know. Well, it could be one of those Patrick Mahomes, Mitch Trubisky. I'm not saying that Mac Jones is going to be Mitch Trubisky, but. Are people overthinking it again? You know what I mean? People overthought Patrick and Deshaun that year. They just overthought it and didn't just like look at the tape and see what these guys physically can do. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you can play the position anymore without moving with, with that rare exception of like Tom Brady. But I, I think the days of, of that are kind of out the door. I think having that extra mobility, even Baker – you know, even the guys that you don't look at as super athletic are still guys that can move and, and still guys that can make plays with their legs. And Scott, you mentioned it. Baker's biggest play of the year was probably a run play. It was. Mm-hmm. That'll do it here on our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you subscribe to Football Insider. Go to cleveland.com slash browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page. Uh, Mary Kay and Scott, thanks for the time. Thank you.